I'm Laura Max Rose, mother of two, and you're listening to Look Ma No Hands, my candid dispatches from the front lines of motherhood. I ask the real, tough, honest questions on motherhood-related topics that we're all wanting to know more about, in hopes it will make everyone's journey fulfilling, easier, and more joyful. If you're not a mom, welcome. I want you to know how happy I am that you're listening and that these topics can be applied to any season of life. I'm grateful you're along for the ride. Welcome back to Look Ma No Hands. I am your host, Laura Max Rose, and I am joined today by Amanda Armbruster. She is the mother of a two-year-old and the founder of Take a Break Tots LLC. Welcome to the show. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Amanda, you were recommended to me after I put an Instagram post out asking if anybody knew someone I could interview to do an episode about how to handle negative feedback about your child. So I want to start with why I wanted to do an episode of that, which was really honestly based off of things I was hearing from other parents and experiences I've had on my own. So whenever anybody confronts us with information that's not positive about our kids, especially if they're in a school environment... Mm -hmm. It can be really overwhelming. And I think most of us go into panic mode. There's something really wrong. Um, we get kind of on full tilt about making whatever is wrong go away. It can be a very intense experience. And, you know, we were just talking, you have one child, you have one two-year-old. Mm -hmm. And um, I have a three-and-a-half-year-old and now a one-year-old. And it's so interesting. I can remember when my kid was one and I was taking her to daycare, when my oldest was one. Mm -hmm. I was taking her to daycare and she wasn't walking yet, but she was wearing shoes to school every day and she would kick off her shoes every morning in the car. And I remember going up to another friend of mine whose kid went to the same daycare and saying like, Selma kicks off her shoes in the morning, every morning. Like, I don't understand why she won't keep them on. Mm -hmm. And I remember really thinking that this was like a problematic, like she wouldn't listen to me when I would tell her to keep her shoes on. Mm -hmm. And I look back and I'm like, oh my God, Laura, really? And yeah. like, there's so many. And now I have other issues, right? She... Sometimes we'll, you know, three and a half year old girls are learning about social dynamics and she'll say something to a friend on the playground. And I'm like, where did you learn to say something like that? <laughs> like, that's not kind. Why are you saying? And the same kind of alarm bells will go off. And it's easier for me now to understand that this is a part of her development. And now I'm with my child, my, my youngest daughter, Violet. And I'm like, yeah, like if she kicks her shoes off in the back seat, I'm like, I'll put your shoes back on. Mm -hmm. Small There's potatoes. No, <laughs> small potatoes. It doesn't matter. And, you know, before we started recording, you're we talking about like kicking and biting. And like, this is something that really freaks a lot of parents out. My kid is aggressive. Mm -hmm. It's their first kid. Um, and you're like, no, this is like a normal part of development. And especially knowing what you know, because you are a child psychologist. Um, a children's a child, therapist. A yeah. children's therapist. Mm -hmm. That... um that you are able with your own kid to just kind of let those things go. And I'm like, oh, how wonderful would that have been if I could go back yeah. with Selma and just like not be worried that she was, she wasn't much of a biter, but she loved to like rip my glasses off mm -hmm. my head and how problematic I thought that was at the time. Um, so anyway, that's enough of me talking. I want to hear um, really the answer to your answer, I guess, to that question that I originally posed, which was, you know, when we have like that two to three or four or five year old kid whose teacher approaches us and says, you know, your, t your kid is doing X, Y, or Z, some type of negative behavior. Mm -hmm. What is it as parents? Like what is a, a process that we can follow? That's perhaps a little bit less frantic to deal with our kids and their perhaps normal or maybe even abnormal behaviors that are, are troubling for us as parents. Yeah. Well, so first of all, I like to do some trainings with teachers last a couple weeks ago, I did a conference and I talked to teachers about this, that, the way you deliver information to parents is really important. The, what you say and how you say it matters. And that 
I think applies to many areas of our lives, how we speak to our kids, how we speak to our spouse, things like that. But the way that these teachers send that message, you know, okay, today we had a binding incident. This is what happened. Here's how I handled it. Sounds very different than, you know, Selma bit somebody today. Right. Right? That's really different. And both of them will provide, probably encourage different responses in you. So, and I like to tell teachers too, that if a parent gets defensive or upset about something like that, you have to remember that this is their precious baby Yeah, and they're operating from a place of fear that my child is bad. That's what they're hearing when you say something like that in a, in a way that is not super sensitive. So, um, how you, what you say and how you say it really matters. And I try to express that to teachers a lot. And I'm, and I'm actually proud of the teachers who do have the courage to share stuff like that with parents. Cause oftentimes things will just keep happening in classrooms and nobody says anything. And then all of a sudden I've seen this countless times that, you know, by February, the teachers have had enough and the child's asked to leave the program. So, right. Th- you know, we have to find a middle ground here, um, delivering that information in a way that feels okay to the parent and provides them with a strategy for coping. So, um, yeah, we were joking about biting and hitting and things like that. And I've told many parents and teachers before that I don't know a single child on this earth who hasn't bitten or hit somebody. They all do it. If you think about it, like Mm -hmm. if somebody's approaching you and you don't have words and you don't want them near you, you're going to push them away Mm -hmm. or you're going to figure out how to use your mouth Mm -hmm. to make them like hurt them in some way. Well, and these feelings, these emotions in their bodies create a physiological response. And so, and oftentimes in kids, it's fight or flight. And so I'm hitting, I'm biting, I'm I'm like protecting myself. You made a really awesome recommendation on your Instagram the other day um, with a kid who was hitting his mom. And you kind of gave a script for how to talk to a kid who's done that. Can Mm -hmm. you share that? Yeah. So parents ask me all the time, how do I get my child to stop hitting me? I was like, well, you stop them. You take their little wrist. You try to catch it. They may get one hit in, but if they're coming at you again, you see it coming. Right. And I mean, most kids, they're looking at you in the eye with their hand reared back coming at you. You kind of know what they're planning to do. So get, you can either deflect it gently or take their little wrist, say, hold on, you're mad. You may not hit me. I won't let you, something like that. And then you redirect them. You can hit this pillow. You can hit, you know, this stuffed animal, giving them something because they do have that physical need that needs to get out. Yeah. And we just have to redirect that in a positive way. Um, you emphasize yeah. that in your post, like you had it in caps, like you may not hit me, mm-hmm. like make sure they understand, yeah. like hitting me is not an option. The inflection is really important. Um, you may not hit me. And that's when you get that firm, stern voice. And then you shift back. Shift back. You can be mad. That's okay. Mad's okay. Hit this. Because we do. We want them to be okay being right. mad. But we also need to draw the line and have a hard boundary that hitting me won't work. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm really happy also to hear you talk about how we need to look at how we speak and address parents about their children as well, because Mm -hmm. we're like, just like the way we think about how we talk to kids. Um, If a parent is approached in a way that feels aggressive in any way, they're going to get defensive. This is their precious kid. And I always, I mean, before I had kids, I was always looking at that dynamic and thinking like, Oh my God, parents need to understand that like their kids are going to have problems too. And like, we need to be able to handle it better. But as a parent, I mean, I can say that like, there really is no feeling like hearing that something is going on with your kid at school that isn't positive. 
And the way that that's communicated to you is such an important part of how you handle that. Mm -hmm. I I look at my own children and I know what their needs are better than anybody else. So my immediate assumption, if somebody's telling me that they're not thriving is like, well, what aren't they getting? And that really is my reaction. Like, what aren't they getting that they need? What am I missing? What am I doing? Right, exactly. And, um, that's that fear I was talking about that we go to this place of, you know, I'm not doing enough. There's something, there's something we take it on. Right. And that's fine. We, we do. do. We do need a shift. But at the same time, the child just has a need that we need to figure out what that is. Right. And, and so what if there is something that maybe isn't like the kicking or biting? I mean, mm-hmm. what if we're, we determine at whatever age that there's something going on with our child that does need to be addressed in a more professional setting? What is that process like? Um, it's not scary. Yeah. It's awesome. Seeking yeah. help for your child is probably the number one best thing that you can do for them, right? Um, and I want to say first really quickly, and I do want to talk about this because I think it's super important, but I want our kids to struggle now. I want right. them to get frustrated in these early years. I want them to have challenges because we need to figure out what their strengths are, what their weak challenges are, what their, you know, I don't want to say weaknesses, what are struggles, what those are so that we can help them and support them and give them coping skills so that when they get to elementary school, when they get to middle school, They've got some skills in place versus if we just avoid it, let them carry on. Then they get to these ages where, and kids are really good at adapting and flying under the radar if there's something that they're missing. And then they get to these grades that are more advanced and they can't do that anymore. And that's when we see struggles. And by eighth grade, they're not listening to mom so much anymore, right? You know, they're teenagers. But anyway, um, so if you do find out something that your child is struggling with, don't panic. This is an opportunity to teach them and to seek help. Houston is full of, in this country, there are so many resources for you out there. So if you do need to seek help, this is how it works at the practice where I was, um, where I'm a therapist at Dr. Michelle Forrester's office. It's okay. Yeah, of course. I think she's fantastic. But what happens is if you get referred to our office, you'll come in for an initial interview with Dr. Forrester. You'll sit down with um with her the parents on one side of the two one a one way mirror excuse me and the child will sit with the therapist on the other side and play and they'll talk about what's going on Dr. Forster will watch the child and then decide the best approach for helping that child whether it be individual therapy or maybe we go into the the school to see what's going on in the classroom a therapist will go out and observe or the child will join one of the social skills play groups where they can work on some of those behaviors or communication challenges in the moment with therapist support. So that's amazing. Yeah. It's not so scary. It doesn't have to be. And I think we look at all these problems as being like bad or negative, but it can be like just a wonderful opportunity to like learn more about our kid and for Mm -hmm. our kid to really thrive. And especially if we catch it early. Yeah. Earlier, early intervention is, has the the highest success rate of any intervention. I mean, whatever you do, if you do it early enough, it will help. Like so, I said, when they get older, they grown up, they sort of, hmm, y'all aren't the smartest people. I'm going to watch my peers. I'm going to, um, try to cope in ways that aren't. Yeah. That I, aren't as healthy. Yeah. Exactly. Well, so you are the mother of a two-year-old and on mm-hmm. top of it, you're a child therapist. So I always feel very jealous of people <laughs> like you because oh, I'm like, they've gone into this with such a bigger understanding than most of us go into parenthood with. And the way that you discuss talking to your two-year-old, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish I'd had these tools. And I love that you're sharing them with yeah. anyone who will listen. You talk about books that you read to your two-year-old mm-hmm. about their feelings and how to help them understand their big feelings. 
Um, what are some of the books? Like you recommended Mean Soup. Mm-hmm. I bought that. <laughs> okay. I love it. And Selma, my daughter and I, so this book, if you haven't read it, is about a mom who's trying to handle her child's meltdown and angry mood after school and after nothing is kind of working, makes this pot of soup called Mean Soup and she just puts her dragon breath into it and screams into the pot and her mm-hmm. kids end up joining her and they and they make mean soup together and the mm-hmm. kid ends up really happy. Yeah. And my daughter and I, we read the book on a day. She had a great day that day. Mm-hmm. We read the book and the next day she did not have a very good day. And mm-hmm. I took a pot out of the kitchen right. and we yelled into the pot together and we made mean soup and she mm-hmm. was just like hysterically laughing. Yep. And um, I love some of the tools that you recommend. So it's also, you know, so easy to forget once, you know, two is long, it's a long year, but it's also mm-hmm. a short one. Like now I have a three and a half year old and a lot of the stuff that you recommend as far as communication with a two year old, I've forgotten about that mm-hmm. stage. So I would love to hear, you know, some of your recommendations for communicating with a toddler who has a smaller vocabulary mm-hmm. um, and they're unable to process their big feelings and they're having a meltdown. What yeah. are some places to start? Uh. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, yes, I think we have to, you know, we wanted to communicate with our children. I, my mom always tells me I talk to my son like he's an adult. And most of the time I do, I just carry on a conversation with him. But when he is in an emotional state, or if I'm trying to set a limit, I've got to keep it short and sweet because you have a very short window of opportunity when you're communicating with your kids. So we have to get straight to the point and we want to keep it pretty positive. Right. Um, that's something that Dr. Becky Bailey, who she's the founder of um, Conscious Discipline, check that out if you're um, a teacher or a parent interested. You're now my second guest in a row to bring that up. Oh, I love her. She's amazing. She's just, I mean... She's so and this awesome. conscious discipline is a book. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a, curriculum. a curriculum. It's a curriculum okay. for school pro, schools to help teachers discipline in appropriate ways, and it's um, trauma informed, and it's it's just a beautiful approach to managing classrooms and dealing with um, your kids and disciplining them. It also she has a book called Easy to Love, Difficult to Discipline, and that's more of a parenting book, and I uh-huh. highly recommend that. It's awesome. Um, but she talks a lot about keeping it positive. When we tell a child, don't run, we've just planted the seed that running sounds like a really good idea. And so they take off. If we said, I need to see your walking feet or show me, or, or just say walk. Right. They're more inclined to do that. Um, you have to watch them because some kids inside voices, inside voices, but what also, what does that mean? I need you to talk like this. I need your voice to be just like mine. Um, so really modeling for them and shifting language. It's hard. (laughs) I've been doing this for a long time and, um, it's just the again what we say and how we say it to our children really matters and yeah. whether they're 2 or 10 if they're in an emotional state you need to pare it down cuz they're not ready for a long you know lecture about can't speak to your sister that way that's unfriendly you know whatever just hold on go to your if you need to talk like that you go to your room come back in a minute when you're calm yeah they're not interested in hearing like the ways even Mm-mm. my 3 and a half year old like we don't do that in this family. Mm-hmm. I can see her, like, even the second I start talking like that, just start to check out. She's yep. like, yep, not interested. Because yeah, I just did. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that does not I matter know. to me. I so know. so exactly. your recommendation was, like, if you want to speak that way, you can go do that yeah. in the other room and come back yeah. and you're done. And that kind of depends on the kid. Okay. Um, but if, you know, say my son's having a hard time having a meltdown, I love mean soup because it really redirects the child. So we're validating, oh, you had a really hard day. Those little things, little things happen to that child in the book throughout the day, and they seem like so silly. 
but they're little people. They have little problems, right? And so they come home and they've just had enough. And the mom, instead of berating him with questions of, well, why didn't you have a good day? Or what do you want to do? Let's, let's do something. Instead, she just kind of shifts gears and lets him get it out by screaming into this pot of water. And then it starts to boil and he sticks his tongue out and he never gets this. I mean, that's one thing we never want our kids to do. Just yeah. stick your tongue out at me and they're allowing some of these big behaviors that are not generally allowed. And then it, the humor takes over and it changes the chemistry in the brain and you're able to move on. And so... Same thing if your child's having a meltdown. We need to provide a space for it to happen. They need to unleash a little bit, and then we help them get back, put back together. Um, humor is a great tool for parenting. Um, but if my two-year-old's having a meltdown, just give him some space. Maybe put a snack nearby because he's probably got low blood sugar or he's yeah. hangry. Um, there could be something like that going let it on. Rip. Mm-hmm. Well, Randy Rubenstein is a parenting coach who was on my previous episode, and she was talking about how when a friend calls us having a meltdown about something, mm-hmm. we never tell them to just stop having their emotions. Right. We let them feel the way that they feel. Mm-hmm. And often they will report back to us that by saying nothing at all, we, we helped because they were just able exactly. to quote, get it out yep. and that kids are the same. And when we look at parenting, like I've no, I, I know I've gone into like reading so many parenting books, trying to figure out how to like stop meltdowns from happening or shorten them. But that's like not actually very practical at all. The meltdowns mm-hmm. are going to happen. And like, really our kids just need space to have those feelings. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about timeouts because mm-hmm. this is a super controversial subject. Timeouts were kind mm-hmm. of like the alternative to spanking mm-hmm. when I was, I was born in 1988. Mm-hmm. So I was put in timeout all the time. Um, I always looked at it as like a gentle alternative. And then I look back and I'm like, I think every single time I was in timeout, I, I felt one emotion, which was mm-hmm. total hatred towards yeah. my parents. Yeah. I don't feel like I learned anything. But then at the same time, when I became a parent, it felt like the only option mm-hmm. um, to discipline my kid who just would not listen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, felt like it was working a lot of the time in some cases and then others it didn't. And then as she got older, I read something that like pierced my soul, mm-hmm. which was you're teaching your child that when they have or when they misbehave or when they have big feelings, because it usually was always when she was having a meltdown that was Mm -hmm. just catastrophic, that they deserve to be isolated, Mm -hmm. that they don't deserve to be caught like any Mm -hmm. type of contact. And I thought, okay, (laughs) I'm like, I don't want to be doing that anymore. But then it's like, what is, what are the alternatives? And so I want to, I want to talk about your perspective on timeout and, Mm -hmm. and what you recommend yeah, so I wrote a blog post about timeouts. Um, so you can check that out on my website. But yeah, it's just, I, I, I totally see where parents are coming from. And I remember being a first-year teacher, I was teaching preschool at a little church school here in Houston. Not a little one, it's a big school. But um, I just remember thinking, like, I need to discipline these children. And I asked the, you know, my program coordinator or something. I was like, how do I, how do we do timeout here? And she was like, well, we don't do timeout. And it's kind of started my understanding and education of why timeout just doesn't work. And in my blog post, I talk about, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with the behavior that just happened. If they hit somebody and then we go sit in a chair, those two events don't have anything. They don't connect. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, how do you get a child to sit in the timeout chair? If you've got, I'm thinking an active impulsive little boy, he's not going to go sit in the corner if you try to tell him. So how do you implement it with a child who refuses to sit in a chair? You know, you've tried to get shoes on a, an unruly toddler before. Yeah. It's not happening. So same thing, putting them in a chair doesn't always work. And then the big kicker is, yes, it can be very shaming that you've made a mistake. You've done something that I do not accept and I can't be with you right now. I don't accept you as you are in this moment. 
And that is a really hard message to overcome as you grow up. Um, we were, and I get it. Time out is, doesn't seem so punitive. It just, let's go, you know, go sit over there and, right. and think about what you've done. First of all, they're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> they're not thinking about but, that. And I get and, and yes, absolutely. So that's why I kind of wanted to rebrand it and call it take a break. That's where take a break comes from. So let's provide a comfy, cozy space where the child can go and regroup. It's not a punitive. It's not, I'm not sending you there. This is just a place where we can go and we have some tools there, a moody jar or a a stuffed animal or some books, whatever your child likes to do to, to kind of chill out and regroup and then come back and we can talk about what's just happened. And how do you later. get your child to that location? It's, it's right. It starts. I, I struggle. We have the calm yeah. down place, yeah. which is Great. the tent in my daughter's mm-hmm. room, but mm-hmm. like physically getting her to go mm-hmm. there is like borderline well, impossible. You have to be so, so, so careful because it can very easily become that this is where I go when I'm in trouble space. Right. And so then they're like, well, I'm not going over there. No way. And so yeah. then you have this beautiful space that no one's using. Um, yeah. So it starts out by you go with them. So self emotional regulation starts with co-regulation. Um, the parents have to help the child. So we go together. Hold on. We all, let's go take a break. So I would pick my son up and we'd go sit in a cozy spot and we'd get a little moody jar and we'd sit and we'd hang out until we could both calm down and mostly me, as I regulate my breath and he's sitting with me, that starts to, you know, it's like skin to skin for an infant. It's like we help regulate their systems. What is a moody jar? A moody jar is like a glitter jar. Um, You put water and then some clear glue and glitter and it, you have, it's a sort of a, I have the recipe on my blog too. Um, So there's a recipe to it, but then you shake it up. You have the child use their big muscles. It's like a water bottle um, and you have them shake it. And then you watch as the glitter falls down to the bottom of the jar and you can shake it again until you're, you know, it's really soothing. It helps calm them down. Yeah. And gives them a focal point and it's pretty and, um, it's wow. Just really I'm so making these yeah. when I get home. They're I'm hard excited. to do. So let me are know. They really? Yeah. Okay. They, you know, glue is anyway. Yeah, um, but it's yeah, a mess. Those make are it at home when your kids aren't there. Yeah. Maybe so. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's just one tool that you can have in there and lots of fidget toys, a little slinky, a pinwheel to help with breathing, taking a deep breath. Cause we often try to tell our kids to take deep breaths and they're like, I'm not doing that or oh, yeah, it doesn't great. work. So giving a, a pinwheel, they have to take a big deep breath and blow it out. So it's more fun. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A pinwheel. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah. So I, I say, I hear a lot of parents, but this is actually something that I have struggled with personally. Um, I know that when I've had a really bad day or when I'm not in the best mood, one of the ways that I regroup or um, recollect myself is through self-care, which has become this really annoying term actually in our society right now. But before that happened, it was like taking myself out to a really nice lunch, which I still do. Mm -hmm. It's almost like if I'm feeling bad, I do something nice for myself. But when it comes to my kid, I look at her and I'm like, you're having a bad day and you're not behaving kindly to anybody. Mm -hmm. So let's like double down on things that are less nice for you Um, and taking things away and taking away privileges. Mm -hmm. And I've started doing this thing and I'm not uh, near where I, I mean, I still really struggle with this, but um, when she comes home and she's having like a million moods and she's really frustrated and she's had a really bad day, I think about like what I would want to do in that situation. Mm -hmm. Do you want to cuddle up and watch a show with some hot chocolate? And Mm -hmm. she like loves it and it makes her so happy and she's in a better mood. Then as a parent, I'm like, am I teaching you that when you come home and you're shouting and you're like all over the place that we get to do the thing that you really love doing? Yeah. Am I rewarding this? Am I rewarding this? And so what, where am I? Am I rewarding? You absolutely are not. You're meeting your child where you are. And I think you put some language to that say, oh, you, you have said some unkind things to me this afternoon. I'm wondering if you had a hard day. 
Okay. Um, and help them understand and help, that. Help her make that connection that, hey, I think those words are not, you know, you. This is coming from your bad mood. Um, you may not speak to me that way. You know, you can say, draw the limit there. We're not just letting our kids walk all over us because they've had a bad day. Right. Um, and so just communicating that with her. Say, shucks, I think it sounds like you've had a really bad day. Those words are too hard for me to hear. I think it seems like maybe we need to take a break and watch our show and have our hot chocolate, something like that. Right. I think that's totally fine. And that's meeting her where she is. Because yes, you then you take away, you take away TV time or you take away playing outside time and you're just going to suffer from that, right? If you need her to watch a show while you prep dinner or something like that, don't punish yourself in the process of punishing your yeah, child. I always think about that. I'm um, like, oh God, if I take this away, I'm going to be the one that's paying for it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think that's where, and I think we emailed about this maybe, that where positive parenting gets a really bad rap, that we're not just like allowing our kids to walk all over us because they have big feelings, you know? Yeah, um, right. We can, <laughs> yeah, we do need to, We yes, we allow them to have their big feelings, but we also aren't doormats. We're not just going to sit by and let them smack us in the face or talk to us so um Right, it's like enforcing the rules. Like the yes. kid who doesn't love bedtime, mm-hmm. for example. There's so many ways of going about this, but it's like there's still bedtime, like whether or not you like it. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to be really nice during bedtime, but the actual time of bedtime is not going to change no matter how you feel about that. Mm-hmm. And like, that's kind of when I think about like enforcing the rules and discipline. It's like, if I can just not make adjustments in those areas, mm-hmm. your big mood is not going to change the fact that right. we decided to sign up for ballet together and we have a commitment and we have to go, mm-hmm. but I hear you and I know that you're upset and maybe after ballet, you know, we can do something that we can take a bath or do one of your favorite activities, but we're yep. still going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I'm putting a screaming kid in the back of my car seat and yep. the back of my car and buckling her in and all the neighbors can hear and it looks like a mess. And we've but all been there. <laughs> we've all been there. I'm like doing the best, but mm-hmm. the best that I can. And you that's are. what enforcing the rules mm-hmm. really looks like. Yeah. We're not letting, you know, we're not letting the kids run the show. They, they're part of our family. We respect that. And I think there's this shift here that we need to hear them and see them and under, try to help them know that we understand where they're coming from. Right. And we're still getting in the car to go to school. Exactly. It's just, it goes together. Those boundaries and limits, Janet Lansbury said, I think, um, setting limits is one of the highest forms of love. Oh, they love it. Your child, they need boundaries. They don't want to be in charge, even though it seems like they do as they, you know, try to control every situation, but they're looking for you to draw a hard line so that they can feel safe and secure that my mom's got this under control. My dad's got this under control. And that makes them feel safe and loved. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. I love thinking about that because it's like if we do that, we do the hard thing for yeah, our kids. Exactly. Like it makes them feel safe. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine. So you were at, most recently were in a setting where you worked with children mm-hmm. and essentially their families because mm-hmm. their families were bringing those children they to you. Mm-hmm. They come together. I was raised in a completely different way than I'm raising my children. And so much of that has nothing to do with a parenting book, but has to do with doing that work on myself Mm -hmm. and my own therapist and my own books about Mm me. Um, And I can imagine that like when it comes to raising our kids, a lot of, I mean, a lot of the voices in my head that contradict the way I parent my kid are like, she's never going to learn this way. You have to like, there needs to be like stricter punishment. There needs to be this, there needs to be that. And Mm -hmm. every time, you know, I go back and I look at, did it work for me? And like, the answer is no. Mm -hmm. Where, what is like, what do you do when like a family kind of approaches you and there's clearly like a disconnect, like the parents kind of need to also go Mm -hmm. and 
yeah. get some help for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the, like, what does that even look like? Uh, well, it's complicated. It's complicated. Yes. I mean, so much of it, our triggers are because of our experiences and our, you know, when our children hit and we think like, oh my gosh, it's so aggressive. They're violent. Well, that's because of our experiences in this world that we know that hitting is a violent act, but our right. children aren't born knowing that. They don't know that. They're just acting. So it's our triggers that are um, creating our response to them. Mm-hmm. So yes, we do need to work on ourselves. And there's a great book by um, Dr. Dan Siegel, and I think he wrote it with Tina Payne, Dr. Tina Payne Bryson as well. They do a lot of books together. Um, it's called Parenting from the Inside Out, that if you don't know yourself, you're never going to feel like a good parent. You know, I think yeah. that's sort of the message that... Um, you're just kind of be operating from this place of kind of chaos that we, and you know, you'll be a little bit erratic in your parenting that one day you'll be feeling this way and one day you'll be feeling that way. So you may be permissive and then you may feel bad that you were too permissive. And so then you go, you're pretty harsh and then you feel bad that you're harsh. And so you swing back the other way and that's really confusing for a kid. Right. Um, so yeah, I think the work on yourself is super, super important. It's hard to do. And, um, I think I see that a lot in my consultations and, and in my therapy practice that parents are on two different pages that you, I always say you you parent in one of two ways, either the way you were parented or the opposite, which yeah. what, what do, what do those things mean though? Um, so if you loved, if you liked the way you were parented and you felt like it was effective, well, you've given birth or you've brought home this baby that is not you. So it may not work for them. That's right? so interesting. I never or, thought about that. Or you didn't like the way you were parented and you want to do the opposite, but what is that? What is you that? Know? And where do you even start? Exactly. It's so much easier so said than done. We're all just kind of lost in this. So I think whether you go to therapy to work on, you know, yourself and what your triggers are and what your experience how your experiences have shaped you, or if you pick a parenting program to kind of follow and model or meet with somebody like me and help kind of cater it to who you are and who your child is. Um, there's lots of different ways you can go about that. And I think we have a lot of good resources now, which is good. And the stigma around therapy is still there, but I think it's a little bit less than it used to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you work with parents and like really help them come up with like a parenting plan basically. Yeah. Um, because every family is unique. And like, I think we talked about this just before we got started that there are a million books out there, but how do you make that? How do you apply that to your family? Or what if you don't, that doesn't really resonate with you the way you hoped it would. And do you read it? Have, who has time to read 10 different books? And then maybe you read 10 books and you pick one thing from this one and one thing from that, but how do you integrate it and how do you do it? And then your child is their own little being yeah. impacting your world. And so how does it apply for them? Well, what if it doesn't work for them? So how do we, how do we meet you where you are and your child where they are and put it together so that your family functions effectively and cooperatively. That is so awesome. Yeah. And then also the kids need to be parented in totally different ways, which yes, I learned with only children. with the birth of my second. I like wish I could, I go back and I'm like, Ooh, I like remember all the ways that, you know, Selma needed me to be there for her. And I really felt like this is the way children need parents to be there for them. But that's not true. Like yeah. the, every child really does need something different from their parents and like we kind of adjust and we modify and it's a growth process. So, um, before you go, tell me a little bit more about take a break tots and what you're doing now Mm -hmm. having with your background in child therapy. Yeah. So, um, so I have my master's in counseling and I'm an LPC licensed professional counselor by the state and I was doing that private practice before. And now I've started take a break tots, which is a, I do parent consultations, school consultations and observations, 
I write blog posts. I'm a little bit delinquent on that these days. Um, well, and I do a lot of Instagram posting because yeah. that's just the platform. That's where everybody is. And I love following you on Instagram because well, I honestly, you. I get, you have amazing book recommendations. Yeah, like I have to good. say this again. I order most of the books you oh, recommend. Thank you. And the way you talk about speaking to your kids, it's just so mm-hmm. easy to digest. And I think it's easier to see that in video form too because of the way I change my inflection and, and just... It's, it's just easier than reading it on a blog post, but I still yeah. do post on my website. Um, yeah, I just always, as a therapist, had these running narratives in my brain. I'd go home after work and think, God, this would just be something that I think so many people need to know. I'd see people in the grocery store or um, at the park or wherever I'd be out in the world. And I just, you know, wouldn't you like to know what I just told this family the other day, but we were in the clinical setting. And anyway, it, the internet brought all these opportunities and I'm... Um, went for it. It really, it's like the everyday to Mm -hmm. you. It's information that you have access to. So you don't even Mm -hmm. know if it's that special, but then you see that family in the grocery store and you're like, Oh, this would really help you. Like the things that are inside of our heads sometimes would really often benefit other people. Social media has provided the form for that. So it's really neat. And, um, I like it and I get to engage with people in Houston and then all over the country. It's been kind of fun. That's amazing. Actually, I made a referral for a family and she's like, I live in Chicago. Is it, is it on, is it remote or whatever? I thought, no, I'm so sorry. I thought you were in Houston. <laughs> so it's really cool. Um, and I've really enjoyed that, but yeah. I what like- is it like parenting your own two-year-old with this sort of wealth of knowledge? Cause we always hear that, you know, there's no manual, but mm-hmm. you kind of have come as close as you can to having access to well, one. Well, I think we, you said something before too, how jealous you were, you were jealous of people in my position. I thought, well, wait a minute. I feel like I have like this extra pressure sometimes to either like have it look like I've got it all together out in public or to know what I'm doing all the time but I don't. And you still, well, I actually find that really refreshing, honestly, to hear that. Well, because emotions are involved. I'm so invested in my son and it is physically and emotionally and just spiritually draining to parent. And so I hit my, my limit some days and, and it's definitely not beautiful all the time, but I mean, it helps. Um, and then I can share that on the internet with other families and tell them, Hey, we're all doing the best we can. I actually had a friend tell me that, um, in order for like, your child to, for your parenting to be effective or for it to be meaningful to your child, you have to kind of get it right. Like I'm putting that in quotation marks, um, about 30% of the time, which I've been saying most of the time, but 30%, we can all do 30%, right? We can, we can feel pretty good 30% of the time. Um, I love that what we've got. You only have to have it right 30% of the (laughs) time for it to be Mm -hmm. meaningful. Okay. Cause when you were talking about how (laughs) we swing back and forth from like, we're either going to be like the the enforcer or like, let everything go. Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh no. Yeah. I mean, I definitely have that conversation with myself all the time. First of all, I'm getting a ton of information by doing this podcast. Yeah. I get ton of different opinions. Opinions trigger different emotions in me. I come to my kids with that sometimes. Mm -hmm. So it's like, um, none of us is going to get it right. Like even half the time, it sounds like, which I love. Yeah, which is good. I mean, aim, aim for it, but we're doing the best that we can. We're doing the best that we can. There's just a lot of, I think there's a lot of grace in parenting our kids. Like I could be having the worst day and think that I did like the worst job on something. And I pick up my daughter Mm -hmm. and she's like, mommy, like the best part of my day is seeing you. And I'm like, really? Yeah. Yeah. All the tough stuff that happens. All the tough stuff. There's those those amazing moments. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So if people want to learn more about you or how maybe you might be able to help them, they Mm -hmm. can visit you on, you have a website, Mm takebreaktots.com. Yep. That's it. I love it. I love it. And they can follow you on Instagram. They can at Take a Break Tots. Amazing. I'm so happy that we got to hear some of your wisdom today. Thank thank you you. 
for sharing it and for all that you do to make toddler parenting easy because yeah. it is not easy. No, it's not. Well, thanks for having me and thanks for your podcast because I know it's bringing so much good information to all those moms and families out there. Thank thank you you. so much. And thank you all for joining us. You've been listening to Look Ma No Hands. I'm your host, Laura Max Rose, and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Look Ma No Hands. I'm Laura Max Rose, and you can follow me on Instagram at Laura Max Rose to stay up to date on upcoming episodes and the behind the scenes of my life with my own two daughters. If you like this episode and are enjoying Look Ma No Hands, the best way you can help me spread the word is to leave a review on Apple Podcast. This is the single best way to help me reach a larger audience and share these conversations with everyone who needs to hear them. If you love something you just heard, you can also take a screenshot of the episode and share it on social media. There might be someone you know who needs to hear what you just heard, and that's another great way to make sure they do. Thank you for joining me every week. I'm grateful for each and every one of you. More next time. Mom, 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 mom.